This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide issue that affects you. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Republicans finally have all their primary challengers for governor finalized. Well, okay, almost. We're down from a dozen Republicans who are actively trying to get on the primary ballot to 10 who have filed all of their paperwork and all their signatures. Now there's still a possibility for challenges and that signatures could be tossed out. Some candidates might not make it. But for the time being, we have 10 men and women ready to duke it out to be the one who challenges Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer in November as she tries to get reelected. Self-described quality guru Harry Johnson was the last of the candidates to file their nominating petitions. He sounded pretty confident the other day when he spoke with Michigan Public Radio Network's Colin Jackson and other reporters. In the end, we think we're going to win. So I'm going to be here talking to all of you in the end. So why not have an opportunity at the end for everybody to see what Michigan is going to have in the future? Okay, so here is the list. This is the list of people who are, for now, in the GOP primary, given that they're not tossed off the ballot due to those challenges. Shana, as you know, this list is very long, so I'm going to take that first half. You take the second half. Does that sound good? All right, let's do this. Okay, Byron Center businesswoman Donna Brandenburg, Michigan State Police Captain and former Berrien County Commissioner Michael Brown, former Detroit Police Chief James Craig, conservative media personality Tudor Dixon of the Muskegon area. Then there's Troy-based businessman Perry Johnson, who you just heard earlier. And the rest of the bachelors and bachelorettes getting out of the limo (laughs) are... Former Allendale Township Planning Commissioner and far right-wing organizer Ryan Kelly, Grand Haven Financial Advisor Michael Markey, Farmington Hills Pastor Ralph Rebant, Bloomfield Township Businessman Kevin Rinke, and Kalamazoo Area Chiropractor Garrett Saldano. So many names. There's just so, so many names and so many stories to break down in just a few minutes here. I talked with Bridge Michigan's Jonathan Osting much more about the race. You can hear that conversation on the Mishmash podcast, but the big takeaways for me are, first, that this is the most crowded primary for governor I have ever seen on either side of the aisle. I've seen some very crowded primaries in the past, and that also opens up chances for some more kind of dark horse candidates to possibly sneak up on the front runners if they split their bases of support over the next few months. The other thing to note might be that although we aren't learning a lot about some of these people right now, think about the names that aren't on the list. We're not seeing folks like Candace Miller, Ronna McDaniel, Mike Shirky, or any of those other more A-list type Republicans. And the real question that's going to be on everyone's minds now is even though there's a lot of candidates, are any of them the right candidate. Governor Gretchen Whitmer has a huge war chest and is going to be coming out swinging during this election. Plus, she's got all the benefits of being an incumbent. Granted, she also has the drawback of being an incumbent during the COVID pandemic. Basically, this is still anybody's game as long as they're able to get on the field come November. As we mentioned earlier in the show, you had a really great conversation with Bridge Magazine reporter Jonathan Osting that got much more detailed into all of these candidates than we were able to earlier in the show. 
Yeah, that's right. Of course, as you heard that list of names, there's just a lot of storylines to pick apart and talk about here. Not only did we talk about this, we also talked about this weekend's upcoming GOP statewide convention, which will decide things like who they're going to nominate for attorney general, secretary of state. We also dove into sort of the elephant in the room in Michigan politics this week, which is that back and forth between Republican state senator Lana Tice and Democratic state senator Mallory McMorrow, which is gotten national attention. So all of these things coming at you right now in this conversation with Bridge Michigan's Jonathan Osting. So I will note that these are unofficial signatures at this point. There's a one week window where candidates or other individuals can challenge the validity of any signatures submitted by the candidates. And in fact, there's an interesting rule that usually doesn't come into play that might this year because of the large field, which is that technically a voter, a Michigan voter can only sign a nominating petition for one candidate. So in the event that, you know, a candidates were circulating petitions at a Trump rally, multiple candidates, and got the same people to sign them, those signatures could be considered invalid. So depends how much time and energy and resources people spend uh, actually looking at these signatures. But I assume we're going to see a challenge or two in the next week. And ultimately, it's going to be up to the Michigan uh, Bureau of Elections to recommend to the Board of State canvassers whether to approve these petitions. And at that point, if approved by the canvassers, uh, these 10 Republicans will actually qualify for the ballot alongside Gretchen Whitmer, the Democratic incumbent. The big names, of course, are James Craig, the former Detroit police chief. Uh, Garrett Saldano has a pretty big grassroots following. It's going to be interesting to see whether that translates to real votes. Perry Johnson, uh, the Metro Detroit businessman, has been spending millions of dollars already on television ads, as has, to some extent, Kevin Rinke, another Metro Detroit businessman. Um, But uh, yeah, there's just a a ton of candidates here. It's pretty surprising, honestly, that um, so many... I'm told it's a record number of candidates uh, were able to collect at least 15,000 signatures, which, you know, it's a pretty big task, actually. I was going to say, I mean, you know, in terms of uh, past elections where we've seen a lot of candidates running, one of them that comes to mind is uh, the the election in 2010 when uh, Governor Rick Snyder eventually got through that really crowded primary. This actually kind of makes that primary look quaint in some ways. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I forget uh, exactly how many candidates were in that 2010 race. But I mean, one of the takeaways from that primary was that it allowed a lesser known candidate like Rick Snyder to have an avenue to victory because it's unlikely with a field this large, you're going to get a majority of votes for any one candidate. Instead, it's likely the winner of this primary is going to have a plurality of votes. So, um, you know, it means some of these lesser known folks have a chance, especially if, you know, quote unquote, establishment Republicans are fighting with each other or quote unquote, uh, grassroots or Trump Republicans are fighting with each other uh, might open an avenue for somebody, you know, outside of those specific channels to have at least some chance in this election. So on that note, for people who haven't been following this race closely, who do you think are the front runners or who's been mentioned as a front runner at some point? And who do you think some of the dark horse candidates might be, if any? 
Yeah, well, as I mentioned, former Detroit Police Chief James Craig is considered the early front runner. I mean, he's led in a lot in every poll that I've seen so far of this field. Granted, it's very early and he, you know, has sort of the built in advantage of name recognition, at least in southeast Michigan, because, uh, you know, of his high profile position there as police chief in Detroit. Um, but, you know, uh, as I mentioned, Perry Johnson and Kevin Rinke are both on television. Tudor Dixon, another candidate who has not really performed well in polls at all yet and hasn't raised a ton of money, but has at least caught the eye of former President Donald Trump. Um, she paid to host a fundraiser at his Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida, and he spoke um, favorably of her there um, when former President Trump was in Macomb County just a couple weeks ago. Uh, Tudor Dixon was the only gubernatorial candidate he mentioned by name. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, certainly some other candidates are hoping for his endorsement still and angling for it, but if that were to happen for Tudor Tudor Dixon, um, she could quickly, you know, jump up in the polls where she's not doing so well just yet. So talk a little bit about the other end of uh, the, the news this week, which is candidates who had talked about running and were expected to run who didn't turn in their paperwork and their signatures, uh, who, who uh, sort of didn't come in at the end of the day. Yeah, well, only two candidates who were still actively trying to um, collect petition signatures. Um, those would be Evan Space of Lansing, who also failed to make the ballot in 2018, and Bob Scott of Howell, who I believe has also tried to run uh, before as well. Um, Bob Scott is... Um, a substitute teacher uh, involved in some sort of uh, pastor group. Um, he's been kind of a fixture at like rallies at the Michigan Capitol trying to collect signatures, um, but, um, you know, clearly wasn't going to get there with his 15,000. Now, most candidates uh, hire paid circulators to collect signatures. Um, both Garrett Saldano and, and Ryan Kelly at least those two have claimed that they didn't pay anybody, that they just, um, you know, got grassroots supporters to sign these petitions. So um, a little bit of a unique circumstance there. But most of the time when you're trying to collect this many signatures, you are going to hire paid professionals to get that job done. And one of the things we reported on at Bridge, my colleague actually, Stella Yu, reported about sort of the high cost of petition circulators this cycle because there are so many candidates, but there's also like a dozen active petition drives in the state mm-hmm. for various issues. Um, so there was a huge demand for petition circulators, paid petition circulators. Um, and like a lot of other, um, you know, professions right now, um, those companies were having hi- having problems hiring people. Uh, so the cost that they they usually pay these circulators by signature, uh, the cost shot up quite a bit, according to um, some of these companies. We've yet to see the campaign finance reports uh, of the candidates, and when we do, we'll learn how much they actually had to spend to qualify for the ballot. That is fascinating. We don't often think about how petition circulating and the number of petitions could affect something like the governor's race. I mean, it's a really interesting uh, sort of uh, crossroads there. Um, Jonathan, this is something that we've talked a lot about on Mishmash in the past um, and sort of where politics is in 2020 and 2022, I should say. Uh, of the 10 Republican candidates who have re- have turned in their signatures, Have any of them at this point said that they accept the results of the 2020 election? Uh, It's sort of one of those baselines you hear about whether or not a Republican is willing to sort of go there. 
Yeah, I think um, if I'm not mistaken, the Detroit News has reported on Michael Brown. He's a Michigan state police captain who said he doesn't believe the election was stolen. And I believe Michael Markey, who's um, a real estate guy from West Michigan, has also said he's skeptical of claims that the election was stolen. But those are both pretty unknown candidates at this point. You know, they don't have huge followings. Um, it, all of the candidates, you know, you sort of consider possible front runners in this race um, have not said they accept the results. Um, some of them have walked a very fine line uh, by not necessarily endorsing President Trump's claims the election was rigged or stolen, but saying, you know, there are enough questions uh, still that they support what they're calling a forensic audit. I'm sure you guys have talked about this before. Nobody really knows exactly what a forensic <laughs> audit is, um, right. but it's pretty popular position right now for Republican candidates to say uh, they support one. Uh, of course, by the time any candidate would take office, we'd be more than two years past the election. Um, so it seems unlikely that you know, some of the evidence they'd want to review might even exist at that point. But yeah, that's the popular talking point. Uh, James Craig, for instance, the Detroit police chief has said just that he was asked um, at uh, Trump's recent rally in Macomb County, whether he would have certified the election in Michigan governor in Michigan, it's kind of a ceremonial step for the governor to sign off on the electors um, before they go to um, Congress for final approval. And James Craig said, you know, he's not sure he, he doesn't know. He'd have to look at it closer, whether he would have signed that in 2020. So, um, yeah, certainly outliers, any candidates at this point who are saying flat out, they don't think the election was rigged. When it comes to a split in the Republican Party, I want to switch slightly to a different subject, although this is very much related to the direction of the Republican process of selecting their candidates for the uh, ballot. This is a big GOP convention uh, this week on Saturday. Uh, they're going to endorse candidates for attorney general, secretary of state, other statewide positions. Uh, the governor, of course, uh, candidate that will be decided in a primary. But what are you expecting from this week's uh, endorsement convention? And what are some of the big storylines going into it? Well, all signs suggest it's going to be a really interesting day on Saturday. I mean, not only do you have this ongoing, you know, battle over the future of the party, whether it's going to remain um, so closely tied to President Trump or whether, um, you know, there's there's going to be a new direction. But you also have at least two races at the convention that really um, are emblematic of that ongoing fight um, for attorney general and secretary of state, uh, former president. President Trump has endorsed his preferred candidates in both those races, uh, Matt DiPerno for attorney general and Christina Caramo for secretary of state. Both of those candidates have not only endorsed his theories about uh, the 2020 election, but they've been on the front lines really of the fight to undermine or overturn uh, President Biden's win in 2020. Matt DiPerno, of course, um, is the attorney who led the legal challenge over election results in Antrim County. And in fact, um, just today, as we're taping this on Thursday, the Michigan Court of Appeals uh, rejected DePerno's appeal in that case, basically saying he'd 
he'd presented a lot of questions about the 2020 election, but no real evidence um, that, uh, you know, a, a, a quote unquote forensic audit or other sort of review would really be justified at this point. So um, Karamo, too, uh, filed affidavit. Uh, after she worked as a poll challenger at the TCF Center in Detroit, claiming she per- personally witnessed corruption. Um, you know, her her affidavit actually only mentioned, I think, one or two ballots that she personally had questions over. Um, certainly not nearly enough to warrant overturning the election. But nonetheless, um, she's been on the front lines of the cable news <laughs> circuit, for instance, um, talking about her, her theories about the election. So uh, those are two really interesting races. Is the, the attorney general one in particular, DePerno is running against Tom Leonard, who the former Michigan House speaker, who is the party's 2018 nominee for attorney general. Now, Leonard says he supports a forensic audit of the 2020 election, too, but he hasn't been as vociferous about his claims um, about that election. And um, it's really kind of seen as a litmus test over whether Trump is uh, still has the, you know, um, the sway with Republican Party delegates to um, get his candidates across the finish line. He's gone to great lengths. He came here and rallied for DePerno and Caramo. He has sent a letter to Republican Party delegates for DePerno. He did a teletown hall on Wednesday night for DePerno. He recorded a video that's going to be shown at a uh, delegate party in Grand Rapids on Friday night before the convention. Um, so if DePerno still somehow ends up losing this race, it's um, going to be uh, you know potentially embarrassing for Trump. And we we know he doesn't like to lose. You know, the as we talked about on Mishmash last week with uh, Craig Mauger of the Detroit News, uh, the county level Republican conventions were pretty raucous. Uh, some would say chaotic. Um, do you do you suspect that the statewide convention will have similar sort of vibes or do you think that it's going to be a little more controlled? Uh, you know, when I, I think back to when Todd Corser tried to <laughs> become the uh, the the GOP uh, chair, uh, yeah. and that was pretty raucous too. So we've seen we've seen pretty raucous statewide conventions. For sure, the Corser convention and also the West Nakagiri convention mm-hmm. when he mm-hmm. tried to uh, kick Brian Kelly off the lieutenant governor slot on on the gubernatorial ticket uh, in Good 2014, times. Um, <laughs> o- almost did in both those cases. Even in 2020, um, uh, one of the Supreme Court justices. Um, uh, seems to have kind of lost a voice vote uh, to, to re- be renominated, yet the party just kind of uh, gaveled it through anyways. So, um, yeah, who knows? I mean, the, the state party, I assume, is going to at least attempt to enforce its rules a little more strictly than some of the county can the county parties did at their own conventions. Um, but when you get a couple thousand really active activists in a room together, uh, anything can happen. I mean, more than just convention um, floor stuff, but, you know, there's often at these conventions really nasty literature drops, you know, um, flyers stuck under people's hotel doors in the middle of the night um, or dropped on seats of the convention, really trying to smear one candidate or another. Um, I assume we're going to see a lot of that co-chair Mishan Maddock, in fact, told me she thinks it's going to be a battle. She says, actually, it's going to be a very difficult day and she doesn't she's not looking forward to it that much. 
By the way, active activists. Uh, I'm going to mark that one down. That's going to be my next. That's going to be the ne- name of uh, if I ever start an indie rock band. It's going to be active activists. You can, I like you it. can uh, mark that down now. Uh, so just really quick before we go, I want to ask you a little bit about some big news out of the state Senate this week. Uh, sort of the thing making national news. Republican State Senator Lana Tice sent out a fundi- fundraising email that basically and I think it's okay to say flagrantly accused Senate Democrats of wanting to groom and sexualize young children. She specifically named Democratic State Senator Mallory McMorrow, who responded with a powerful floor speech that's since gone viral on Twitter and has been all over national news. I'm curious, what, if anything, do you think makes this story noteworthy in your mind? Well, I think for a lot of folks, um, you know, McMorrow's floor speech really resonated because it's one of the first times you've seen Democrats maybe successfully try and navigate this weird, murky attack on critical race theory or indoctrination of kids in schools. Um, You know, she talked about being a suburban mom and and not seeing any of that stuff herself. And, and, uh, you know, I think um, we've seen folks like Lana Tice make these accusations, but not really have any clear examples to talk about other than like a case here or there nationally. I mean, Lana Tice was on the radio uh, this week um, explaining, trying to explain her fundraiser letter. And she said, you know, she'd seen some videos on TikTok. Um, (laughs) She didn't say which ones, but it doesn't sound like they're (laughs) Michigan based examples even. Um, But yeah, the you know, I think that's that's the real takeaway here is that McMorrow seems to have provided Democrats with a path forward to sort of start rebutting some of these claims that they sort of struggled to do really um, in the past few months or year, really. And also, there have been a lot of attempts to sort of get clarity from any Senate Republicans about um, I, I know that Lana Tice issued a statement saying she would have maybe worded it a little bit differently, but really no, no apologies. Um, You know, any sense from Republicans about how they're, how they're reacting to this? I mean, uh, Senator McMorrow raised, I think they said $150,000 within just a, you know, hours of her floor speech. Uh, You know, is it just crickets essentially from the Republican side right now? Yeah, it has been mostly crickets in the Senate. Now, some Republican, you know, operatives that I've talked to have basically described this as a a gift to Democrats. I mean, as you mentioned, um, McMorrow has likely raised far more money off Lana Tice's fundraising letter than Lana Tice did. And because McMorrow is in a relatively safe seat for reelection, it's likely she's going to end up you know, um, sharing, spreading that wealth around to other candidates running to um, for the state Senate as as Democrats. Democrats, of course, with redistricting now feel they have a real shot to actually win control of the state Senate for the first time in a very long time. Uh, So it's a big year. And, um, you know, maybe it helped Lana Tice in her primary. She, of course, is running against a Trump endorsed candidate and Mike Detmer. So she's got somebody running even further to the right of her. Um, but, you know, in terms of the larger political landscape, um, seems to be a, a, a boon to Democratic fundraising efforts primarily. All right, Jonathan Osting with Bridge Michigan. Uh, have fun this weekend at the convention. Uh, are you going to be there or? 
I'm going to be there. Yes. On Saturday, I'm not going to the fun parties on Friday night. Where <laughs> I imagine there'll be a lot of interesting storylines as well, um, sure. but I will be there on Saturday for the main show. Well, we'll be following your coverage of it and really appreciate you joining us here on Mishmash. Thanks. All right. That's all for Mishmash. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Thanks for listening. 